Not With A Bang is brought to you by Casper, the friendly ghost. He's a ghost, but instead of being spooky and doing a haunt of you, he is nice instead. Casper. I have a dream. I had the best words. Not With A Bang. World, World, World War Three. Not With A Bang. Under the doctrine of multiculturalism. Go back where you came from. Not With A Bang. The arc of the moral universe is long. Nuclear Holocaust. Retreat from the world. Alternative facts. Alternative facts. Retreat from the world. Those who forget history are going to pee. Alternative facts. That is no such thing. The bang. I am become death. The despair of worlds. Retreat from the world. Hello and welcome to Not With A Bang, your audio guide to the end of the world, brought to you this week by Casper. It's an end of the world that is drawing ever closer with every passing minute, so take solace in that. In fact, every second you spend listening to this podcast is another second closer to death, because time is the most precious commodity of all. But think on the plus side, you won't have to try with this life thing for that much longer. Soon we'll all be lying in a box in the ground somewhere. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Then we can all relax. Anyway, until then, I'm Pat McCaffrey, and joining me as ever is Lance Turnbull. Hello, it's me, once again. But this time, from Mildura. Have you enjoyed the main shopping mall and dining precinct of Mildura? Located on Langtree Avenue? <laughs> Did you do research into Mildura? <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> well, you, know, you now know more about Mildura than I do. Well, I also know, for instance, that um, the urban area of Mildura is surrounded by a horticultural area known as the Traditional Pumped District, where the original grape and citrus blocks were located with water irrigated from the Murray River. I mean, that's just common knowledge. You, I mean, you were yeah. saying that like it's, like it's very impressive that you knew that. It's not. It's not impressive. I'm not impressed. This podcast is brought to you by Mildura. Mildura, come to the Northwest. Well, with a Victorian state election coming up this year, the Liberal Party has decided to flick the switch to law and order, with Federal MP Peter Dutton taking to Sydney Radio to say, The reality is, people in Melbourne are scared to go out at restaurants of a nighttime because they're followed home by these gangs. Home invasions and cars are stolen. Yeah, well, you know, this is, this is why I was in Mildura. <laughs> yeah, you're on the run. There are no African gangs. Just very sunburnt white people. Yeah. Well, and I mean, obviously, this is absolute rubbish. Uh, that is not happening at all. But it's also weird that he's singled out restaurants. Like, if the point is that you're being followed home whenever you leave the house, why is restaurants the first thing that Peter Dutton goes to? Anyway, I got scared, because then I thought, like, everything was off limits. You know, like, restaurants, movies, bars. You'll just get followed home. Uh, so now the only place I go out when I leave the house is that fucked restaurant tram that Melbourne has. That way, like... At least I'm on the move. You know, whenever I'm out, I'm on the move. And if I sneak out before dessert, then they won't know where I'm going. You know? That really throws them off. They're like, is it a restaurant? Is it a tram? I don't know what to do. I'm going home. Yeah, totally. I think it also throws them off because they don't expect anyone to be on it. True. It's not like a regular target. Uh, now, it's worth pointing out that uh, opposition leader Matthew Guy literally had dinner with a mobster member, uh, a mobster and mafia member, rather, named Tony Madaffrey. That's Madaffrey with a D. So if people aren't scared by actual mobsters, 
but they are by so-called African gangs, then I think that's just racism, you know? Like, and also, if Matthew Guy's not afraid to leave the house to meet up with a fucking gangster, I don't think we have too much to fear. But also, I can slightly relate to that, because, like, the Mafia are civilised criminals, so they're sort of okay, you know? Like, obviously, we'd all prefer a man in a suit to calmly place a plastic bag over our head, suffocate us, then dump our body in a reasonably-sized grave outside Ararat, than have some gang of uncouth youths chase us, then beat us with bats before leaving us in a green bin in Preston. You know, like, there's just something nice about the Mafia. It's, it's comfortable. It's what we know. Yeah, yeah. And I think, really, what's happened here is that Peter Dutton asked someone to get dinner with him in Melbourne. This person needed an excuse to get out of going to dinner with Peter Dutton. And the most believable excuse a human being could give Peter Dutton is some racist shit about African children being violent. That's the most believable excuse you can offer Peter Dutton. He's just going, what's that? You, you're you so afraid to leave your home because of what gangs from a foreign country? Well, that is absolutely understandable. Stay indoors. Stay indoors. Lock yourself in. He's like, he's like a thirsty fuckboy on Tinder. <laughs> he's like, come on. Come on. You don't have an excuse. You don't have an excuse. So you've got to go, oh, oh there were some browns there. Some brown ones, you know the ones. And he's like, yeah. oh, oh my god. <laughs> so what you're saying is he's a thirsty white fuckboy on yeah. Tinder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like the other thing is, like we should say from a technical perspective, these are not gangs. At least that's according to the police, right? And one of the reasons for that is that these criminal gang, or these, these young criminals, for want of a better term, lack any sort of organisation. You know, like they're not an organised group. They're just young people doing the young person crime that is like renting a house on Airbnb and then trashing it because, you know, you're young once. Um, disorganised organisation is the most terrifying kind of organisation, Pat. It's well, like the Joker. I think it's a bit harsh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. anarchy. Yeah, you're right. There's certain um, there's certain fear and disorder. But I think it's a bit harsh to like say these people can't be a gang just because they're not organised enough. It's like the cops are saying you can't be a gang unless you're an incorporated organisation. You've got public liability insurance, and at your AGM, the treasurer's annual report details how much money you made from your legitimate business activities like bake sales, and how much more money you need to make from legitimate business activities like bake sales to afford a new PA system for the annual Christmas show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I'm just, I'm just in awe of the, the no. detail. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I've sat on a lot of shitty organisations with some shitty Christmas shows. Um, and lastly, this story took an absolute turn when Liberal MP and resident crazy person Craig Kelly suggested that there should be signs erected on the New South Wales-Victorian border warning drivers from New South Wales that once they enter Victoria, they are 50% more likely to have their car stolen. That is not how statistics work. (laughs) But I think, look, the message is wrong, but I am all for having signs on state borders that get more realistic than, like, welcome to Victoria, the garden state. You know, like, I'm all for realistic signs. So, like, welcome to Queensland. We don't have African gangs or Africans. Like... Any, any sort of sign, like, welcome to South Australia. You are 50% more likely to have nothing happen to you at all. Any <laughs> of those signs would be more appropriate. Yeah, at least Victoria is interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's an element of risk. Mm. It's like a 13-year-old fuckboy on Tinder. Mm, that's a risk. <laughs> What's going to happen? Well, concerned about these shocking events in Victoria, we had citizen journalist Lindsay Modderham find out what was really going on. Crime. Gangs. Matthew Guy. 
We've all heard these words, but what do they all mean? The Oxford Dictionary defines guy as a man. But what man and why? I took to the streets to find out more. I'm here on a suburban street in Melbourne's west, where despite police stats showing a recent fall in crime rates, crime has been going through the roof. But how can this be? I went back inside to find out more. I'm here with Tarnit resident and avowed non-racist, Daryl. Daryl has been outspoken about what he calls a holocaust of crime. Daryl, given that statistics show that crime has fallen in Victoria, how do you account for Victoria's upturn in crime? Now, look, I'm not racist, but I think you've really got to call a spade a spade. You know, whatever digging implement you have, you name it correctly, otherwise you, you, you just... You know, you can't be politically correct about this. You just got to use your common sense. And look, it's not a race thing. Like, I don't care if you're blue. I don't care if you're from the moon. It's just, you got to call it like it is. And that's just my opinion. And everyone's entitled to their opinion. I see. So what you're saying is that there's so much crime that people are afraid to report it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, people are afraid to go out for bloody dinner, you know. In spite of Daryl's warnings, I went restauranting to find out more. I'm here outside the Shanghai Grill in Point Cook in Melbourne's Outer West. It's devastation. The lights are all off and the chairs appear to have been stacked on the tables like a kind of makeshift barricade against the tides of violence. I think it's fair to say that anyone remaining in this restaurant must be pretty terrified indeed. All right, hold the mic, I'm going in. Are you afraid? Hey, get out. I'm calling the police. It seemed the occupant was so terrified he couldn't even speak to me. Point Cook, a suburb presumably once known for its cooks, no longer boasted very much cooking at all. In these dark times, who can Victorians turn to? Victorian opposition leader Matthew Guy has said that the current Andrews government was ignoring the biggest issue on people's minds, that issue being the crime, citing one poll that showed that residents here in this area are deeply concerned about crime. Mr Guy plans to crack down on crime with a tough-on-crime approach to the issue of crime. Crimes such as the one our crew captured in this revealing tape. And a warning... The following audio may shock you. That's the way it's gonna be. Fuck! That's the way it's gonna be, little duck. Oh, sorry, wrong audio. Um. Okay, what do we got here, guys? This sprinkler's been left on, and it does not appear to be a low-water-using model. You call the police, I'm gonna investigate further. Fuck! Oh, look over here! We have what appears to be a gang slogan written on the fence over here. Let's take a look. It reads, Tank water in news. Terrifying. Oh, truly appalling what's been done here. Respondents to the aforementioned poll had strong views on who the best person to deal with the violent crime wave would be. To recreate the results, I went out and asked local residents what they thought. Oh, are you? Are you afraid of crime? Oh, I'm very concerned. Some criminal has come and smashed up my garden just today. Oh my, that's awful. And in the upcoming state election, who do you think would be the best option to deal with this sort of crime? Oh, well, you know, the current Premier seems to be really on top of this. You know, the Labour bloke, what's his name? Uh, that guy? 
Matthew Guy. Despite spurious statistical claims that voters largely favoured the current government to tackle violent crime, my investigation showed a clear preference for the embattled opposition leader, whose tough-on-crime crime policies include deporting foreign criminals, mandatory minimum sentencing, and, notably, jailing people that sell drugs to other people that then go on to commit different crimes. To get to the bottom of this, I needed to track down some co-conspirators, but first, there was something I had to do. Yeah, I want a small Coke, but a large fries, and a double McFeast burger with no pickles. That'll be twelve sixty. Oh, but I don't have any money! Do you accept healthcare card? No, we don't. I'm sorry. Aww. I had to go talk to one of these co-conspirators, these assistants to hardened criminals who deserve to rot in prison and then in hell, perhaps even more so than the criminals themselves. Welcome to Priceline Pharmacy, Werribee. How can I help you today? Ice. Meth. Shard. Crank. The devil's window pane. Many of the ingredients to make this destructive and dangerous substance come from pharmacies just like this one. How do you feel knowing that you're complicit in some of the worst affiliations with some of the most terrible crimes in Victoria? Um, excuse me? No remorse. Do you have any shame at all for your dealings with people that may have provided substances to vendors that could have then passed those substances on to people that then went on to commit violent crimes? Any at all? Priceline takes all customer complaints very seriously, but I'm afraid there's a line. Oh, okay, no problem. Having spent several minutes investigating Victoria's devious underbelly of criminal treachery, it was clear that the escalating violence on the streets of Melbourne was skyrocketing, like a rocket attached to an escalator. Was this something the crack tough on crime crime guy Matthew Guy could crack? Or would Victorian voters linger with the loony leftist Labour layabouts? Only crime will tell. Not With a Bang is proudly sponsored by Audible. Things are so much better when they're Audible. So get yourself an audiobook from Audible today. You owe it to yourself. You are literally in debt to yourself. And you're coming to collect. Audible. Well, now it's time for Not With A Bang Book Club. This week, Fire and Fury, Inside the Trump White House by Michael Wolff, or Confirmation Bias, the book. <laughs> this is also this is also exactly like a, a regular book club in that I haven't read any of it. <laughs> yes. Having read fully half of this book now, my qualified assessment is thus. Fire and Fury is a long-form text on a president unfit for office and the most dangerous literary misfortune to hit the Trump administration since Twitter doubled the character limit. (laughs) Can I just say, hold on, this also sounds like you haven't read the book, because that read very much like the jacket cover quote. (laughs) That, that actually was the Jackie oh. Cup. Uh, but before we get into the contents of the book, it's worth noting that the claims therein have been subjected to the kind of questioning usually reserved for above-ground swimming pools. Do they hold water? And critics have accused the author, Michael Wolff, in the past of embellishment in his reporting, which is only more concerning given that a large proportion of that has been for The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, he even preempts that in his author's note where he says, Sometimes I have let the players offer their versions, in turn allowing the reader to judge them. In other instances, I have 
through a consistency in the counts and through sources I have come to trust, settled on a version of events I believe to be true. Uh, And to be fair to him, it does sound as though getting members of the Trump administration to agree on reality is like trying to get members of the world to agree on what the word football means. But he doesn't note within the actual book whether what he's reporting on is an account of a story he's been told, whether he was there, or why he settled on the version of events that he's written. So even if this book is only a version of modern American history, a set of alternative facts, if you will, it's still a very entertaining one. Uh, And if the truth has been stretched at all, it's worth noting that it at least aligns pretty comfortably with what is public knowledge. It actually functions perfectly as a director's commentary to the president's Twitter timeline. They they synchronize. It's like Dark Side of the Moon and any film being played concurrently with Dark Side of the Moon. Well, it strikes me almost as like this book is like the Netflix version of the Trump presidency. This is like uh, this is like any time you see a film that's like this film is based on real life events. Like that's almost what he's written. You know, he's just taken a few liberties here and there, but like more or less, this is a believable picture. And that's the concerning aspect, really. <laughs> You're reading a book and you sometimes like this could be fiction. It could also be very true. <laughs> and it's funny that you bring that up because they're planning on making a TV series out of this book. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> like actually in real life. What? Like. Now? Yeah, somebody bought the rights to the book. They're going to make a TV series out of it. Well, can I just say, for one thing, straight away, uh, uh, Aaron Hamill will make a good Steve Bannon. I don't know who that is, but I agree. You know, I definitely meant Mark Hamill. I definitely meant Mark Hamill from from Star Wars. That is inspired. (laughs) Because Aaron Hamill was a footballer for the St Kilda Saints during the 90s and early 2000s. Right. Also not a bad choice, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, probably could also play the character quite well. But yeah. Oh, Mark Hamill. He's got the voice. Yeah. Put him in a fat suit. Yep. Bit of a beard going. <laughs> yeah. Three jackets worn simultaneously. I think he could do it. Mm-hmm. Get Hamill on board. We'll have Will Ferrell as Trump. And <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, the... a, a plank of wood with a face drawn on it for Reince Priebus. Uh, yep, Sean Spicer can be played by Melissa McCarthy. Done. Uh, Where do you come up with this stuff? Uh, so, the book. Uh, it's entertaining, but there's nothing particularly revelatory within this tome. It largely just provides some additional context for things that we already know. It's like Michael Wolf has wandered into, say, a Russian hotel room to find, say, a bunch of oddly sticky sex workers passed out on top of an aging millionaire, a strong smell of city alleyway in the air, and a very damp mattress underneath, and he's come back after a year saying, you know, I've interviewed over 200 people and I'm pretty sure there was some weird sex stuff going on in there. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, that wasn't an event he was present for, that one? <laughs> he wasn't just hiding in a pot can, He doesn't specify. He doesn't specify. <laughs> Yeah, so for uh, an instance of something obvious, we already know that the president has surrounded himself with yes men, sycophants, and like two yes women. But the book gives us the details, like this one about far-right pundit Ann Coulter, author of the real books, Demonic, How the Liberal Mob is Endangering America, In Trump We Trust, and the best-selling I, Ann Coulter, am literally from actual hell. Two out of three of those are real. Anyway, Ann Coulter said to Trump, quote, Nobody is apparently telling you this, but you can't. You can't just hire your own children. Uh, And then there's the account of Rupert Murdoch calling Trump a, quote, fucking idiot, which coincides nicely with what we already know. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson called him a fucking moron. (laughs) 
Also, do we have any audio of Anne Coulter telling Rupert Murdoch he can't just hire his own fucking children? Because that, that might be a piece of advice that he could get as well, given what Lachlan did to the value of Channel 10. It is, it is far too late for that. <laughs> and, yeah, and that also applies to the Trump White House. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of coverage has gone to the presentation in this book of a commander-in-chief with a, a short attention span who constantly repeats himself and who can't remember basic details, which makes me uncomfortable because we've all seen the Donald's campaign rallies. We've seen his speeches, his interviews, and also his post-campaign rallies. So it's as though the printing of these observations in a book make them more valuable culturally, which is a sort of literary gaslighting. For instance... Here's the passage. Steve Bannon knew that the last person Trump spoke to ended up with enormous influence. Ah, oh, thanks, Michael. What a sophisticated Machiavellian manipulator Steve Bannon must be. What tipped him off? Was it when he noticed that Trump's opinions are all eerily reminiscent of the last thing on Fox News when he stated them? Or was it when Donald Trump started parroting conspiracy theories from Breitbart News and then immediately appointed him, Steve Bannon, head of Breitbart News, to chief executive of his campaign? <laughs> Ouch, pretty tough review. No stars. <laughs> um, the president is described in the book as having, quote, difficulties with reading, writing, and close focus. And uh, that's a common criticism we hear of the free world's fearless leader. In fact, we've heard it on this very show as it came out of our mouths. But I don't think that's entirely fair, us. Donald Trump has many flaws, but this isn't one of them. As Mr. Trump said last November, quote, I don't get to watch much television, primarily because of documents. I'm reading documents a lot. Now, he was lying about not watching much television. He's described in the book as often watching three screens simultaneously while he eats cheeseburgers in bed at 6.30pm. And he was lying about the reading documents a lot. But he wasn't lying about... Well, the point is Donald (laughs) Trump can read. And he is absolutely right when he calls such claims fake news. The president is like a broken pocket watch. He has tiny hands and he's right twice a day. The president has shown that he is capable of reading from a teleprompter, like that time when he finally became president, or that other time when he finally became president. He's also demonstrated a solid understanding of grammar. For instance, in his much-discussed tweet that read, My two greatest assets have been mental stability and being, comma, like, comma, really smart. And he's misunderstood in a lot of ways. Another example is in his tweet about being a stable genius. Let me explain. If there's one quality of the president's that shines above all others, it's that he's a man of strong principles and a dedicate of the Republican Party. So much so, in fact, that he's not merely the current Republican president, but the best Republican president. He's better at corruption than Richard Nixon. He's better at extramarital affairs than Dwight Eisenhower. He's better at being senile than Ronald Reagan. Is he better at the two Bushes at starting intercontinental wars? He's working on it. And he's even better than Abraham Lincoln, who freed the slaves. Contractors working for Trump didn't even know they were slaves until he freed them from their jobs. Which is freedom of a sort. Yeah. Yeah. Who was the last Republican nominee for president? Mitt Romney. What did Mitt Romney do in his spare time? Recreationally avoid paying taxes, but also dressage. What is dressage? Horse dancing. Where do horses live? Donald Trump is better than Mitt Romney. Donald Trump is a stable genius. Case closed. (laughs) So my point is, uh, Fire and Fury is a fun read, though not at all a necessary one. Three stars, which as we always say here at Not With A Bang, is a recommendation. Not With A Bang. Your 
audio guide to the end of the world. Well, Donald Trump's shithole... Sorry, that sentence goes on. <laughs> Donald Trump's shithole comments get the US administration into a shit ton of trouble. Uh, and reports emerge that in a discussion about immigration, Donald Trump grew frustrated with lawmakers in the Oval Office on Thursday when they suggested restoring protections for immigrants from Haiti, El Salvador, and other African countries as part of a bipartisan immigration deal, two people briefed on the meeting have said. Quotes from Trump, Why are we having all these people from shithole countries coming here? Before Trump suggested they should take more people from Norway. And before you go thinking, oh, well, at least Trump knows that Norway is a developed country in Scandinavia. The only reason he was able to pull out Norway from his head is that he'd met the Norwegian Prime Minister the day before. Hmm, this, this fire and the fury is uh, sounding more and more realistic, isn't it? <laughs> also, big win for Norway there. Huge win. Huge. They have come out of this very well. Got a mention? Yep. Got a positive mention. Uh, already, the top... U.S. diplomat in Haiti, Robin Diallo, has been summoned to explain Trump remarks in the meeting to the Haitian president. And the UN Human Rights Office has also lashed out at Trump's comments on Africa, calling them shocking and shameful. Now, the one thing I will say about the U.S. diplomat in Haiti is, I do sort of feel bad for them in this situation, you know? But then also, when they took the role of ambassador, they must have known that at some point they were going to have to explain something racist that Trump had said about the continent of Africa, you know? Like, <laughs> that was obviously going to be a conversation with the kids. Well, look, honey, I have to go away now and defend Trump's racist comments, obfuscate and make excuses for this old man that we somehow elected president. Uh, well, I'll give him I'll give him shameful, but shocking uh, is a bit rich. That's true. Uh, that's true. There is nothing unsurprised. There is nothing that surprises you about any of this. Um, and then a resolution was passed at the UN declaring the remarks racist. And with that, Trump has done the virtually impossible. He's got members of the UN to agree on something. Maybe this could be a diplomatic path forward. Show the countries of the world that they actually have a common humanitarian bond. A response to Trump's vile bigotry. And then get them around a table to sort out a nuclear disarmament treaty. Or, like, get Israel and Palestine and Trump in a room, lock the door, then tell them they can't leave until they reach an agreement on a peace deal. I'll give them at most 90 minutes alone with Trump talking about why he prefers to fuck Jewish women rather than Palestinian women before <laughs> they are bashing the door down with an equitable agreement to return to the pre-1967 borders with shared custody of Jerusalem. It could work. Wow, you've solved it. And Botswana's government then called Trump's comment reprehensible and racist and said the US ambassador had been summoned to clarify whether the nation was regarded as a shithole country after years of cordial relations. <laughs> Which, I mean, well played, Botswana. That is basically the diplomatic equivalent of De Niro's, are you talking to me? <laughs> that is amazing. It's also potentially a very tricky conversation for that ambassador to have. Uh, uh, no, Botswana, we, we weren't talking about you, relax. We, we were talking about other African countries, like, um, uh, Burundi and, uh, and Zambia. Yeah, yeah, that's what we meant, Zambia. What, what's that? You, you, you've got Zambia on speakerphone right now, don't you? Uh, 
Oh god, no, no, don't put them on. Hi, Zambia! Look, um, I'm not sure how much of that conversation you just heard, but can I say the barbecue at your office the other night was amazing, sensational. You gotta send me the recipe for those corn fritters you did, because they were mm-mm, and this, they're gone, they're gone, they're gone. Now, when you say Zambia, do you mean uh, Nambia, which, uh, as we all know, is a country now? What? That was that was the thing that Donald Trump said. He said Nambia instead of Oh, Namibia. my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, I think I'm going to trust the U.S. ambassador to know the difference, but definitely not Trump. All right. Yep. Uh, But then lastly, Trump was asked whether he was a racist. And in response, he said, I'm the least racist person you've ever interviewed, which is only a legitimate response if the person he was talking to was not a reporter. But also, like, open question, shouldn't he just say yes? Like, that's what his supporters want to hear, right? Like, not only that he's racist, but he's not bound by political correctness, so he doesn't even care that he's saying it. Well, uh, this reporter, maybe it was their first day on the job. That's maybe true. Maybe Donald Trump was the only person they had ever interviewed, and therefore <laughs> yes. Donald Trump was, in fact, the least yes. racist person they'd ever interviewed. And the, the most, most racist person, all <laughs> yes. at the same time, yeah. Well... In an interesting development, the Singaporean government has designed robotic swans that look and sound like non-robotic swans to monitor the water in the country's reservoirs. Using a variety of sensors and wireless transmitters backronymed the Smart Water Assessment Network, or SWAN, the government hopes to use these phony fowls to improve water quality. Pat McCaffrey has more. In a disturbing development, the Singaporean government has unleashed robot swans in a move they claim was to test water quality. That's right, he has more. Pat? These Singaporean swanbots, or pseudo-swans, may look like ordinary waterfowl, but details about exactly what they're up to are scant, leading to suggestions of foul play. While Not With A Bang thought we had secured an interview with a scientist involved with the project, we've since lost contact and hold grave fears for their safety. This is our last recorded conversation. A warning, listener discretion is advised. Hello, Singapore Noodle Hut. May I take your honour? Longthroat, what have you learned about the swans? Tell me about the swans! Please, sir, you have to stop calling here. Some are concerned that the bogus birds are actually an attempt by the government to dose the population with fluoride in the water supply. And while many of those some were willing to speak to Not With A Bang, they were apparently too busy flaming people on Reddit to talk to us. Flames? Water quality? None of it made any sense. But if there's one thing I trust less than big government, it's things I haven't heard of. Like Singapore. So I went to the bus stop to find out what ordinary citizens make of this development. Singapore? Oh yes, I remember him. He used to do Old Man River at the Crown and Gypsy every Friday. Back then a pint was three shillings and a knowing wink. Singapore was always with the gypsies in the green room, which of course was blue in those days. Thanks to the robot swans, you couldn't even say gypsy anymore. So I went down to the Crown and, uh, itinerant ethnic Romani group to find out more. Welcome to Crown Casino, sir. How can I help you today? Would you say you're the gypsy? Ah, I don't think you can say gypsy anymore. The robot swans had gotten to her first. I I can hear you. Of course she could. 
There was no telling how advanced these cybernetic signets had become. Did you need anything else today? Yes. The swans. Okay, I'm going to have to call security, sir. Ah, calling in your bird brethren, I see. They're swans! They're all bloody swans! Check the pH levels. The truth is in the reservoir. What did you do to the Singaporean little hut? Where's Longthroat? I'd only just wet my beak in the mysteries of this swan spiracy, but I'd clearly ruffled some feathers. There was no telling how deep this swan lake was, but it was clear that these Avery imposters were only the beginning. Yes, the final verse of this swan song is yet to be written, but one thing is for sure. Nothing. That's another episode of Not With The Bang in the can. Uh, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts or Podcasts in iTunes. You can follow Not With The Bang at the handle at NWABpod on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. You can also follow Pat McCaffrey on Twitter at... At Pat McCaffrey. Very easy. And you can join the hundred of people that follow me on Twitter at the handle at Lance Turnbull. Why was that? Why was that hundred in there? I have one hundred followers exactly. Congratulations! It's like no, nah, it's like one hundred and ten. It's way more. Oh. So, so you know, oh, I'm pretty popular. <laughs> pretty popular. Mm. I've had Twitter for seven years. <laughs> yeah, it'll die soon though. Like all of <laughs> <Yeah>. us. <laughs> like I said at yes. the start. Everything dies. Everything dies. So what's the point? Please follow me on Twitter. (laughs) Uh, Have we got anything to plug? You're doing some shows. Uh, Yeah, if you're in Adelaide, I am doing the Adelaide Fringe. Just look for Pat McCaffrey on the Fringe Guide, because I've definitely forgotten the dates. I think it's the 15th of February. Is it the 15th of February? Yeah, look, I can't find it now, obviously, which is a concern. (laughs) Just Google Adelaide Fringe, Pat McCaffrey, and you get old shows I've done. Um, <laughs> Look, show up show up on the 15th. If it's not yeah. on the 15th, hang around for a bit. Adelaide's really yeah. fun. Grab a slice of pizza. Do they, they, they have pizza in Adelaide? Yep. yep. Grab a slice of pizza. Hang around for the show. They've got everything Mildura has and some more. Do they have, uh, do they have sunburnt white people? They do. Do they have there casual racism? 15th of Feb to the 2nd of March. There you go. It only took me two Google checks. 15th of Feb to the 2nd of March. Tickets, very yeah. available. So don't bother Googling that. You're just going to have to remember. Um, I'm doing Raw Comedy with Lindsay Moderum on the 18th of February. Don't know what we'll do yet, but it might be funny. Bloody ripper. Where are you, where are you doing that, Lance? At the Evelyn uh, in, 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 in Fitzroy. What time, what time is that? I don't know. Also, I haven't written a show yet. We have a lot in common. It's only five minutes. How hard could it be? <laughs> yeah, mine's 50. Ugh. I think it's comparable. Yeah. Because, like, the five minutes that Lindsay and I are going to do are going to be, like, gold. Yeah, that's like, true. Like, not a second wasted. Mm. Except for the one bit where we stand on the stage for 30 seconds and just stare at one audience member. It's very alt comedy. And I just wrote the first joke. Boom. Four minutes, 30 to go. (laughs) Cool. Well, that's that. Uh, See you next time we do an episode, which will be sooner than the gap between this and the last one. 
Yeah, we say that every time, though. We don't say that. We just think it. Oh. This time I'm saying it. <laughs> okay. I'm putting it out there. <laughs> and you can hold us accountable at NWA Pod on Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, and Twitter. All right, we've got to end this. This is getting out yeah. of control. <laughs> this is all going to cut. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.